0: And so I tell that very raw story of my process and everything that I went through, my whole journey. And it's not pretty, but I wanted to showcase to people, look, this is what it looks like. It ain't pretty for these people. It's not pretty for these women. And they may be trucking along, going to work, dropping their other kids off at daycare, um doing this, doing that, but that does not mean that they don't pain, and they're not going into the bathroom stall of their office building and crying their eyes out so that is the picture that I paint, but I also show that the healing journey led to hope, like I always held on to hope this whole entire time, and so I give people a uh, you you get the rawness. But then you get a story of just, wow, like she came out on the other side. She was able to find hope. Now, that doesn't mean I still don't pain from time to time. I still do. I still hurt. And I go through those different stages. I may not be in them as long as I was before. I may stay in an hour. I may stay in in a weekend. But I able because I journeyed through it, I can navigate myself out of it.
1: The Your Life After podcast is a place where people can talk about the lives they lead after traumas. This podcast will feature survivors, victims, and professionals sharing their experiences, expertise, insights, and struggles. The goal here is not to showcase stories of triumph, though I'm sure some of those stories will be triumphant. The goal is to shine a light on our own shared humanity and to perhaps encourage someone to move forward through their own trauma. I'm your host, Robin Dunbryant. I'm a coach who helps people heal from the physiological effects of generational trauma, sexual abuse, and sexual assault. Let's get talking, shall we? So, hey, Shana, how are you today? I'm good, Robin. How are you doing? You know, I I mean, I I can't, I could complain. I I really could, but I'm not going to. I'm doing all right. Uh, All things considered, I'm doing all right. I'm
0: really- I agree. Happy. I'm,
1: I'm hanging in there. I mean, you know, we're doing, we just do the best we can at this point. Like anybody, anybody listening, it is still 2020, the year that will never end. Uh, and we're here at the tail end of the, of the year, uh, recording this episode and just, just trying to make it through to next year and beyond, um, at this point. I'm really glad though that we found a time to connect and that you were willing to come on and talk to us. I, I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say um i think i think maybe this is where i want to start i think that part of this path that i'm seeing you on right now as an author as a coach as a as a human being this this evolution um this i think you were always awesome by the way i mean that, that's not what i'm saying right but i think that this new path maybe started when you lost your daughter like this was part of part of what emerged out of that out of that tragedy and I know, I think it's important. Tell us about her before we dig into what's what's going on with you.
0: Absolutely. Amaya was a very sociable thirteen year old. Um she was she was amazing. Now, don't get me wrong, there are she was a teenager, so she kinda had a tube. <laughs> Or attitude from time to time, but <laughs> that, that, that was normal and that was expected for her as a teenager. But, uh, I mean, she was an overall good kid. Um, she loved her friends. She loved her family. Um, before she passed away, um, our, my son, Christian, was, um, a baby and she helped me with him. She would, you know, she would help me change him. She would help me feed him. She would actually, um, even when we got home, she was a latchkey kid. And when we would get home, Christian and I, she would come out of the house and get him out of the car seat. It was just mommy didn't exist. Right. It was all about her little brother, Christian. And so if if I can just sum it all up about her, she was an overall good person and you know i think maybe every parent feels like their children are going to change the world or impact the world but i did believe that amaya had that type of personality to impact and change the world and i always had an amazing vision for her life um and so it 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 was a, a definitely devastating time when i lost her
1: and i i think i i feel like we ran into her just once i feel like we were over um at casey's and you know yes. i i like my friend's children <laughs> universally let me just say that like i i i like kids i think they're kind of funny and they're cool but she was she was a particularly delightful young person we spent a couple of hours over there and i was just like man this mm-hmm. is a pretty cool kid and it was during a time when our kid was a little more surly so um it was nice to hang out with somebody and i i just love that i love that understanding i don't disagree with you i think that 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 there was this destiny for great things absolutely And, and if we believe in if we believe in people staying with us in different ways i think that that's part of Now your destiny is maybe a little bit of the
0: fuel from her fire. I'm wondering about that. Yes, it really, it truly is. She left a huge impact on me. And there's a, I think a part of me that wanted to keep her name. I'm sorry. I'm not going to even going to say there's a part of me. All of me wanted to keep her name alive. I wanted, I wanted people to know how how greatly because she impacted my life Um, I was a I was 14 when I had Amaya and on yeah and on a road to probably self-destruction and when I got pregnant with her I completely changed my whole life I changed my entire life that's how much she impacted me I looked at my baby and I said um yeah you deserve better and you're gonna have better and that's what I did And I wanted just to keep her name alive. I wanted everyone to know who Amaya was. And, um, yeah, just for, just for her to have, still have that impact.
1: I didn't, I mean, I knew that, that I didn't realize you were 14.
0: I was 14. I, I was 14. I'm usually not at a loss for words. But that got me, I
1: was like, holy cow, man, that's, I mean, that's, that's young. Um, yes. And, yes. and what measure of grace that she brought to you, you mm-hmm. know? I feel that way about my daughter, too. I was, I was 25. I was still a hot mess. Um <laughs> And I remember I I took the test and I was it was it was a Sunday. So I, I had gone to the store and I got a test and I got the Sunday paper and I was reading the comics, you know, the color <laughs> comics, right? I haven't Yeah. physically read a paper in years. So I'm sitting I took the test, I set it to the side and I was like I'm just going to read the comics. I'm not going to rush and I'm going to look at I'll look at it afterwards. I'll feel, you know, figure out what's going on. So I close it and I looked over and biggest day positive and I was like you got to get your life together. <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep doing this right um it's just it's such a huge
0: a huge impact but 14, it really is 14 my goodness 14 I was I was headed down a very dangerous dangerous path and at 14 I was so stuck on myself and you know I had a lot of other issues going on a lot of other pain going on that you know, didn't have an opportunity to get addressed, of course, but you know, it was something about having her that it was like a light switch went on in my head. Like, okay, get your life together and get it together right now. You got somebody depending on you. Right. And she just completely changed the trajectory of my life. And, um, I wanted and, I wanted the whole world to know her impact that she had on my life and other people's lives. And um, I didn't want her name to be. I didn't want it to disappear. I wanted people to know that who I am. I'm a woman of faith and I believe in God. However, he brought Amaya into my life for a reason. And I wanted people to know that the woman that you see is from Amaya. It's its from her.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's powerful stuff, man. I ran into, I don't know. I don't even know. So I do this thing where I see stuff sometimes on social media and I have this idea of like, save it, send it, share it. And then yeah. the squirrel, <laughs> squirrel happens and I forget all about it. So this was a, this could have been this year. We've already been talking about before we started actually recording for this that, that I have no concept of time in 2020. Could have been this year. But there was somebody that, there was a, a mom and a mom's group that posted about her. Um, and they were talking about their kids, uh, and something that was going on with their kids in their class and their school. And I was like, and they're talking about this really great young woman that their, that their child was friends with. And I'm like, man, this sounds like a great kid. It was your daughter. And I, no, whoa. No. Which is, which is why it's so bad that the squirrel happened and I did not send it to you. But I remember reading that and going, oh my gosh, like I was just so deeply, t- I'm going to look for it. I'm writing that down. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hold on, find post. Wow. Cause it's in one of the, it's, it's in one of the mom's groups that I'm in on Facebook and they were talking about her and I'm like, I know that kid. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. That makes me so happy. Yeah,
1: which is why I should have sent it to you, but now I'm going (laughs) to because I've written it down. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, this feels weird. This feels like a really strange segue, but I think that, I think Mm -hmm. that it's, it's interesting to see, to be able to be in this space and to talk about this is, this is a hard thing to lose a child. This is not anything um, but there's this, even, even me that didn't know her well, this shared memory between us, your lifetime of memories with her. But even as mm-hmm. this happened, we know that this has come out of this, this tremendous grief. And I know that people want yeah. to hear about that a little bit. We hear about these yeah. stages and we learn about it in school and all this, and it's not linear like folks might want. It's this cyclical thing. It's this wave, but tell us a little bit about your own journey, because because you have mm. you have taken this and, and used this and grown in in a way that wouldn't have been possible without this grief. So out of this horrible grief, this beautiful life that you're building for yourself and you continue to build. But talk mm-hmm. just a little bit about your about your own journey.
0: Oh, wow. My journey was um, extremely ugly. It was ugly. It was painful. When um, when I lost Amaya, when we lost first, you know, let me just say it it was it was very sudden. It was like one moment she was fine. And in another moment, you know, I think, you know, it was from between the hours of five thirty and at seven o'clock. I lost her. Mm -hmm. We lost her. And um. There was a part of me that just didn't believe that it was happening. So denial had taken over. It was like my brain was trying to protect my body, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It didn't want to believe that this was actually happening. I remember coming home from the hospital and I was like, "Did you know, is she really not here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And I also remember not falling asleep because I was afraid. I, I was so scared that I was gonna wake up and think that it was all a dream and then have to relive that horror all over again. So I stayed up all night. Oh my I I couldn't sleep. And I I, actually I could sleep. I didn't want to go to sleep. It was it was terrifying. And there were moments um so I went through uh that that initial shock and denial and you're right um there's no (laughs) perfect flow to grief. You go in and out in waves. And so there were parts where I was just angry. And then I was depressed. Um, My body, um, Robin, went through shock. So there were uh, moments like there were days after her death where I couldn't eat. Like food tasted nasty, Mm. like food that I had eaten (laughs) like days before or weeks before, it, it, it tasted disgusting. The only way to keep nutrition for me was to like drink a smoothie or something. Like I could not eat food. It it was just, it was crazy. And so I went through these various, uh, waves of everything. And then having to plan her funeral, um, that was also very depressing. And also like, you, you're still in shock you're it's like i'm i'm actually planning this but like this isn't this wasn't the plan right like as parents as a as a mom you know we prepare our children for the world then they take over and then we go right that's kind of the order in which we think that it should happen like our minds respond to that and when it goes in the opposite direction. Okay. You're like, what is this foreign thing? And I don't like it. And here's the thing, too. I didn't. I I hated it. I hated that this was my life. I was like, I don't accept this. I reject it. Return it. I didn't ask for it. Um, like, give me my child back. I, I for the longest time, and and I got angry with God. There was a point in the journey where I was very very angry because I was a woman with faith. Now my theology was backwards i will say that um however i was extremely angry with god because i was like this is not who who would do this to a parent and um i went through that way and i wanted my old life back i didn't I, I didn't want it um and because i could not have it back because death, it, it doesn't. There's no reversal in that. I I had to um, go through, continue on through the journey, and it was very messy. Um, I coped by smoking, by drinking, um, by shopping—anything that could take my mind off of the pain. That's what I did. Not healthy coping strategies. So it was a very um, messy journey and I was becoming very bitter. There was a point in time where I could feel the bitterness growing in my heart because I just I didn't like this life. I was crying all the time. I was angry all the time. Um I had a problem connecting with people. Because I felt I, I didn't feel like my life had meaning anymore. And in the midst
1: of that, you're still, you're still parenting, you're still working, you're still a partner. How, how? Yeah, I, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, how did you, how did you turn from that?
0: How did that happen? Do you even remember? Yeah, there was um, a moment, there was a day, it was a very, very bad day, and it it was extremely bad. I um, was suicidal this particular day. The things, my life had gotten very dark because it was getting to the point where I could not see, I could not see hope. I didn't believe that it existed because the days, each day was, it was getting worse and worse, and worse, and worse, and the the weight of the pain was becoming too heavy for my shoulders to bear, and I remember thinking the day I wanted to take my life, I was just like, I just can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I can't carry it, and I kept hearing in my head, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Just go ahead and take your life. End it now, and it'll be all over. And as I'm thinking about that, and as I'm thinking about planning my own death, I thought about my son. I thought about Christian immediately popped in my head. And I was like, I I can't do, I can't leave him. He needs a mother. And then I thought about my husband. And then I thought about my mom. And my dad, and I was like, My family can't face another tragedy. Mm-hmm. My family can't face it. So for beginning in that time, there came a shift. And Christian was about um one and a half. And I knew how much Amaya loved him. She loved her little brother. Like I was saying earlier. She just she was She was his protector. She was more than a sister. And I thought about her and how she would want me to mother him. And I said, he deserves more. So I'm going to take the steps towards healing. Now, it wasn't easy. And as a woman of faith, I prayed and I asked God, I was just like, I just need you to show me direction. And the direction came from I needed counseling. I needed someone who, I needed an advocate who could understand where I was because culture and people were saying that, you know, don't cry, don't do this, don't do that, which I thought was the most idiotic thing you could ever tell anybody who's knee deep in grief. Right. Well, or neck up in grief. Is not to cry or not to feel or that emotion is wrong. So I, I went and I got some, a counselor and advocate who could help me walk through this, who could give me the knowledge that I needed to, to navigate where I was. Because before I went and saw a counselor, I honestly thought I was crazy because I didn't know anything about the stages of grief. I didn't know, you know, when, when someone died in my family, you know, it was like, yeah, we cried, we were sad, and then people would go back to, or or what I thought they were going back to their normal. Right. So I just did what I saw, and so I didn't know that there was this whole. These were these various stages that you go in and out of, and I didn't know that there was this thing called the new normal. And so my counselor helped me walk through this journey. And so. It's so
1: interesting too that 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 idea I think about it um, it's like the the swarms of people depending on the the family depending on what's set up but what I've seen and what I've experienced is you know this wave of people that show up people show up with food and it's always you know and they and they and they won't go home right right um, they're they're there for you know because because you need them there but often that that kind of, it's a, it's a short brief interlude where there is this kind of constant companionship of people that are there just to sit with you, just to be in this space, just to, you know, bring some energy into the house, just to bring you right. more chicken than you can ever eat. Right. It's just like, right. here we are. And then after, after the funeral, often, you know, everybody <laughs> just kind of is gone. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting to, to see that and to think about culturally what we've lost here in the States is not this, this really recognizable ritual of mourning that, that we need. We need it in our marrow. We need that That's to be able so to do it. And we just don't seem to have it. Um, you know, some folks maybe religiously do. There's, there's this really beautiful, and I don't know what the process is called, so I won't, pretend that I know what it's called, but it's a year long period of mourning in Judaism. Uh, and I think yeah. if you're more Orthodox, maybe you might do that, maybe not Reformed, but who knows where you, you know, you come and you say particular prayers in, in the temple every day. Um, and there are people that are there to pray with you um, as you move through this period of mourning. And I'm like, we need more rituals that way. And we need to have conversations about this. We're all, we're all going to die at some point. Um, absolutely, you know, I don't necessarily like to think about it because I've got a little kid in the house, but this is part, of, you know, it's part of what's going to happen. And to be able to have those conversations and to be able to find the space also to support each other in that I think is, is really, Mm -hmm. really important. And I'm, I'm glad that you found that counselor that was there to be able to help you kind of shore you up while you, while you started walking through these spaces. Did that have any influence Absolutely. on on you and the work that you're doing now, that support that you that you found in that office?
0: It really did. I I it, it had a huge impact on me. And another thing that happened was I didn't want anybody else to experience. What I was going through. Without that education and teaching, I think that's the biggest thing. Was that a lot of times we're done, we do what we're taught. Not saying that the people who taught us were wrong, but we tend to think that. I'm. If someone asks me how I'm doing, I'm just going to say I'm good or I'm okay, instead of saying no, I'm not okay today. I'm pretty pissed off. I'm pretty angry. I'm pretty upset. I don't. Feel good, you know, and I didn't want anybody else to navigate through their grief and their pain that way. I wanted to be a safe place where people could get the education, get the tools and get the resources because, and, and like you said earlier, that person, that individual, that location had a very huge impact because I, as I began going there, I felt normal. I was like, okay, everything that I'm experiencing, this is not foreign. This is actually what happens in the process. And it's okay to feel this way. All right. You know, culture taught me, you know, not to cry and to be this strong Black woman and and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to be a strong Black woman all the time. I want to cry in a corner from time to time, if that's okay. Yes. Yes. I want to say, no, I'm not okay today. I, I just wanted that space and I want And, and so that, with with that came a, a real feeling like I had a calling to just begin to help people um, navigate through that since I went through it. Gosh. And uh, I mean, what a, what a, A blessing
1: and a curse this you know this idea of this strong black woman i mean it it it, there is it's great Mm. when it's great how about that i really like that when i'm in i'm in the flow right and i'm i'm okay but when i'm not okay i want somebody to to really acknowledge my full humanity i i really need to be able to not be okay sometimes you know and and this this I find that no matter what angle I'm talking to people about trauma with, that part of, part of what is missing for us as we look at ways that people kind of navigate whatever it is that's happened that feels traumatic for them is that we, we, we lack both the education and the vocabulary to really be able to talk about it. You know, and, and to be able to say this is what it is, cause we, cause we don't talk about it. And I don't, like you, I don't fault the people that came before us. They, they taught right. us what they knew. But we've, we've been so hush hush and ashamed of these things that happen. And it happens to everybody. That's the thing. Right. Like, when you talk to other people and finally it's like somebody will come and say, well, yeah, this is what I went through. And you're like, it wasn't just me. Nobody is having, and, and a singular experience on this planet. It's just yeah. happening. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, exactly. Yeah, and that's just what we tell ourselves when we're in it. I'm the only one that's ever gone through this, and there're probably ten people on your block that are having the same sorts of feelings. Exactly. I, I think that that's. I feel like that's so crucial, right? This this idea of being able to 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 open up these conversations so people can, can start to look at themselves and go, oh, there's really nothing wrong with me. I'm just having a hard time, you know? Um, right. And you said something you wanted, when I asked, I sent a bunch of questions and said, you know, tell me what you want to talk about. And you specifically mentioned, you wanted to talk about, you know, how it's possible for people to get stuck in their grief, um, following a loss, yeah. or following a trauma, um, Can you have you is there something that you were thinking about specifically maybe in your own life or in your work with other people that you've seen? Like, what might that look like for somebody that's listening that maybe hasn't experienced it or didn't know that's what it was um, in their own experience? Does that make sense? That question?
0: Yes, it actually it it makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, What I was specifically talking about is when I was. in the beginning stages, I would say within the first year, um, I started going to this group and the in the group was in the group was great. It's, this is nothing against the group. But one of the very things that I saw that um, I just kind of. Um, I looked at a little different was that many people who had lost their children, it may have been 20 years you know, prior or 15 years prior, they were still stuck in their pain mm. like it had just happened. They were still there. That night they lost their child, that time they got that phone call, whatever it was. And I remember and like I said, the group was great, but I, I remember um thinking to myself, I don't wanna be stuck like that. Mm-hmm. Because this feeling doesn't feel good. Like I, I remember just being within that first year and saying, This does not feel good and I don't wanna be here twenty years from now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Still here, like it just happened.
1: Right.
0: Um but I was I was in a dilemma because there was a part of my brain that said, Well, if you move forward does that mean that you forget about Amaya, right? That was just the way my, my mind was operating. And so I, I, I said, no, that, that doesn't make sense because even if I move forward and I heal from my grief, she still is with me. She's still a part of me. She'll always be a part of me. So that was one of the things that I saw. And and another thing that I saw was the coping strategies when you're stuck. So in in grief counseling or in in trauma counseling, there's this thing called the false bridge that people can take. And so they can take this false bridge and they can think that they're okay. That they're the I'm okay, Or after the funeral, we're just going to, you know, life is normal. We're just kind of going to truck along and. Act as though we're moving forward when actually you're still stuck in your pain. You have not moved forward and you develop these coping strategies because one of the things about grief is if you don't deal with it, it tends to have a way of showing up in your life later and it can show up in your health. It can show up in your emotional capacity. It can show up physically. It can show up in different ways and you can also develop coping uh poor coping strategies, like, you know, taking on smoking or drinking or drugs, things that actually harm you instead of help you. And I didn't want to be there. And but one thing about the grieving process is it's so uncomfortable. It's a discomfort to your body that You've already suffered the loss of that loved one. You don't want to go through that pain again. Right. You want to protect yourself. So it's like, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to go on that journey. I'm afraid. I've heard people say they're scared to heal Right. because they don't know what they've already experienced the pain. I don't know what's on that side. But if you have an advocate, if you have someone who can help coach you through that, it's not as scary as it looks. Is it uncomfortable? Is it painful? Yes. But I believe that staying in that same space and even though you're growing older, you're looking a little bit different, but you're still stuck 20 years in the past. I think that's even more harmful. Right. So that's why I um, I wanted to specifically talk about that, because people can can take that journey, that false bridge, think that they're OK and they're really not. And their pain is showing up in different ways.
1: And, you know, it's it's so I think it's important really to to. To let that kind of sink in, you know, 20 years later, 15 years later, and we don't we don't want to forget the people that we've lost. But I I often think about it and I'm like, if there is gosh, this this I'm gonna say this and I'm not I'm not meaning this, it may sound crass. I sometimes I feel myself saying something and I'm like, ooh, if the person is is that important to me that I'm gonna grieve this heavily, mm-hmm. then I wanna believe that they loved me enough to not want me to suffer. I agree. Right? Um and that and that's the thing that always kind of sits with me because it's like we it it there is a certain amount I think of that that discomfort or whatever that that has to happen. 20 years is a mighty long time.
0: That is a very long time. Yeah. And I agree with you. I thought about my uh a family member of mine told me that she was and um she t- she said to me cuz my family said I was a walking zombie for a long time. Um, But she actually said Shaina Amaya would not be she wouldn't want you to do this. Right. She will want you to heal. And I was like, you're so right. I had to be reminded because I had to be remind myself of who she was. Right. I had I had to remind myself of that. And I also had to remind myself, like, no matter what happens, where I go. How long, how many years I still carry her with me right she's still with me, like, and I will never i mean she she was my child she came from my she came from my womb, so i it didn't mean that I was gonna forget her it really didn't
1: yeah, yeah, I think that I think that that is so i think it's crucial, I think it's crucial and I had never heard that phrased that way, that false bridge, yes. you know, the concept I'm I'm familiar with, but I had never heard that. And I'm like, Oh, cause even visually, it's like, yeah, you know, this thing is a little rickety than you thought <laughs> it was. <laughs> right? yeah. You might get to the other side. You can't get back as easy. Like right. a, these are things to think about and, and to consider as you kind of, kind of moving through. I know you talked a little bit about, about the counseling and, and, and this group. Were there other things that you found um as you were as you were moving through the process um you said something earlier that I thought was really interesting. i'd never heard anybody say this, and maybe you didn't maybe i'm not hearing this right but I think you said something about your theology was backwards yeah
0: yeah
1: um and so <laughs> i mean i am not judging, I just had not heard anybody say that, and i don't know if if it if it shifting to its rightful state was part of the
0: healing as well it was. It was, it was shifting to its rightful state. Um, I, I, and like I said, I'm not blaming anyone. We, we you know, we do what we're taught and, and there are a lot of good people in the church. I will say that, but my thinking and how I was going about my faith Was that it looked like if you go to church, if you pray every day, if you do this, if you do that, then your life is going to be good. But if you're a heathen and you're a sinner and you're all of these things, then your life is going to be bad. And of course having a baby at 14, you know, I'm a sinner, you know, I had another child out of, you know, before me and my husband got married, we, we had our son, you know, so I was living out of wedlock, you know, so people, probably assumed that, well, she, you know, wasn't living her life. Right. So there you go. And that and that trickled to me. And so, like I said, my theology was backwards because I thought that I had to be perfect in order to not feel pain. And that's not true. It's even in the Bible. You know, like Jesus even said that in this life, you are going to have trials, you are going to have tribulations, you are going to suffer. That's what it says. And so it took me um, as I was going through this grief journey, it took me kind of uprooting all of that that was put into me as a child and planting some new seeds. Of what it means to be a Jesus follower, what it means to be a woman of faith and um, that showing up in my life in, in the outward. I wasn't um, just because I was a, a teen mom and, you know, um, living with my my now husband before we got married. It didn't mean that God didn't love lo- love me any less. That That's not what it means. He didn't want a robot. He doesn't want a robot. And he knew I was going to make mistakes because he created me. So, yeah, there had to be this shift in my mind about who God was and who I was as his daughter, as a woman of faith. And another thing that I did um, on this grieving journey is I journaled. And I was never a person who wrote and I thought it was pretty idiotic. Like, I had a friend of mine at work. <laughs> It was It was crazy. I had a friend of mine at work, and she said, well, why don't you just journal your pain? Like, Oprah says it's cathart- uh, <laughs> cathartic, and I was like, what? I don't even know what that word, what does that word mean? I was like, do you know what <laughs> I remember going back to my desk and actually looking in the dictionary to find the word and, but, you know, but then I thought about it and I said, you know what, what do I have to lose? I mean, I'm in my deepest pain. And so what I would do when I would journal is I would write a letter to Amaya in the journal and I would put the, the, the date at the top of the entry, and I would just say, dear Amaya, I would tell her how much I missed her, Um I would tell her how I was doing, how Christian was doing, how everybody was doing, and I just poured my heart out to her, and then on the next page, I would write to God, I wrote him a letter, and I would tell him how I was feeling, now, those weren't always nice letters, they didn't have <laughs> push words in them, but they weren't always nice, <laughs> I was like, I'm really mad today, God. Like, you know, but I realized that God can deal with my feelings and my emotions. I mean, it it wasn't foreign to him. It was just healing to get it out Mm -hmm. and to not hold it into my body because it wasn't going. It needed to be released. And the, the journaling led to blogging, the blogging led to writing a book. Right. I was like, who would have thunk it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) For somebody who wasn't much of a writer to, to, to take that, to take that path. I love that. I didn't realize that that wasn't part of your, your path before.
0: No, it was not part of my path at all. At all. Like, writing was like, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) When she, when she, when she, I remember when my coworker Mentioned and I was like, I'm not doing that. And then on my lunch break, I went to the store and bought a drink.
1: <laughs> I love that. Well, well, let's talk about that then. Just a little bit. Let's, cause yeah. I know that you, you've you got, um, the blog is on your website from amaya.com and yeah. we'll make sure that we leave that, that link in the show notes so people can, can get to it. But you've got um you've got a book out as well. And talk to us about that book. That's OK. Wait a second. <laughs> so that people understand what a feat this is. Not only are you not a person that believed herself to be a writer at heart. Right. So you were convinced to journal because of Oprah and the time you had on your lunch break. um, But that you wrote that book this year which is yeah. just that is uh, a feat in and of itself. Talk to us about the book a little bit. Tell us what tell us what it's about and and whatever it is you want us to know.
0: Yes, this book has um Amaya passed away in 2012 and I think the book idea came to me in 2016, but um I did not have the courage to write it. Um I was still in I was still in my healing process to be perfectly honest with you. And so I wasn't ready to do it. And fast forward to 2020, the pandemic being in quarantine gave me the space and the time Mm. to really focus on it. And so I said I kept hearing Robin in my head, like, if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. If you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. Do it now. It's quiet. It's quiet. Just do it. And so I just went ahead and I. um, I sat at my computer and I wrote or, you know, I love being outside and I would write the book outside or, you know, I'm up late at night and I would write the book. And so this book is my personal story. It is my testimony about me going through the various stages of my grief. So I start the book off with talking about the day before Amaya's passing. And the book starts off because we didn't know what was happening, what was going to happen the next day. We were just doing life and it was freaking awesome, you know, how we were doing life. And it was a week before Christmas when we lost her. And so imagine, you know, your, In the month of December, you're preparing for Christmas, you're putting up your Christmas tree, you're decorating, you're thinking about gifts, you're thinking about family and food and fun and fellowship. And then this tragedy happens. And so I talk about, and so that's how I start off the book. And I just rawly, very just raw, tell my story. And I, I show people what this actually looks like for a person, especially a woman who has lost a child. Because I would hear things like, well, you know, you still have your son. Oh, what would the, and it's like, y'all don't get it. No. You don't get it. And so I basically tell this, and I even talk about what happened to me after the funeral because it was so telling. And I wasn't expecting it, Robin. Like you said, you have people coming and being with you and fellowshipping with you i think for us it was a good seven days people were with us good seven days after the funeral slowly people started leaving and of course they have to go back to their own life i get it right but i wasn't prepared for that and so when the house got really quiet i was like oh my gosh yeah this is like really, really, really well, real because when people are around you, you have the opportunity to you know it's like a distraction, but you also have the energy of of people being with you and felt and when everybody's gone, your life you you start thinking like, what the heck is this?" and so I tell that very raw story of my process and everything that I went through my whole journey. And it's not pretty. But I wanted to showcase to people, look, this is what it looks like. It ain't pretty for these people. It's not pretty for these women. And they may be trucking along, going to work, dropping their other kids off at daycare, um, doing this, doing that. But that does not mean that they don't pain, And they're not going into the bathroom stall of their office building and crying their eyes out. So that is the picture that I paint. But I also show that the healing journey led to hope. Like I always held on to hope this whole entire time. And so I give people, a, you, you get the rawness, but then you get a story of just, wow, like she came out on the other side. She was able to find hope. Now, that doesn't mean I still don't pain from time to time. I still do. I still hurt. And I go through those different stages. I may not be in them as long as I was before. I may stay in an hour. I may stay in at a weekend, but I able because I've journeyed through it, I can navigate myself out of it. Right. And so that's what I encourage people to do in this book is to just go through that whole process. Doesn't mean you want pain again. But it does mean that you journey towards, you journey out. If you get triggered and there's an anniversary date or there's a birth date or there's a holiday, you you're not going to stay there and you'll know how to get yourself out. And when you go through the grieving process again, when you lose someone, you know how to navigate through it because we're all going to lose people, unfortunately. It's just our reality, especially now.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. And this, I, I, this navigation, I see it as, um, as like backcountry roads, right? Like, you know, when you, when you show up someplace you haven't been before and maybe the landscape has changed, there's a new building or something, but you still, know how to get yourself back to where you need to be. And there's this comfort in that, right? Like I can, I can see some of these old roads, these towns I haven't lived in where I'm like, I could probably get somewhere, you know what I mean? Somewhere even to orient myself, even if everything around me looked a little bit different. And I, and I love the idea of traveling through grief in that way. Like that feels really resonant and powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're so now okay so now you're an author right you're doing all these big things in 2020 this book sounds amazing I'm gonna actually pick that up because I don't have a copy of it and I have time oh, between you. between now and the time I go back to school so I can do a little reading I also want to talk about this coaching that you're doing right because because this is because this is something that you have walked through and you know that people need a guide you've decided now that this is. This is the yeah. next kind of iteration of that. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a good chance folks are going to be listening and going, I like her. I want to talk to her. <laughs> what, is it, what does it look like to work with you um, in this coaching that you're going to be doing here coming up? Or if you've already started, I'm not even sure
0: where you are in the process. Yeah, I'm still in the development process. But mm-hmm. actually, um, I I had my first session with a client last night. Which was, yeah, it was so cool. Um it's 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 awesome when someone says, I need you and and, and so I had that. So I'm in the development stages of that, but I still want to help people journey. But what it looks like is we we're talking we, we discuss where you are. Like I wanna know what's happening. I wanna know your feelings and emotions, and that will help me to understand where you are in the process. So um and then I give you tools and I give you resources. And as a coach, I may give you homework. Like I want you to develop a plan or tonight I want you to journal or tonight instead of journaling, since you don't like journaling, I want you to do a recording and I want you to record yourself. I have a, a friend of mine, um Elle Michelle in Tallahassee. She's doing immersive journaling where you can put on glasses, hit a button And it can record what's happening and it's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yes, it's (laughs) really, really, really cool. And I've even done it. I I was a a part of her pilot program for her healing ministry. So it, that, that is what it'll, it'll entail. And, And like I said, I give you resources and tools, but I also just help my client walk through this process of pain because the one thing that people need to know is They need to know where they are. They need to know this is normal. Like, I know this is uncomfortable for you, but this is normal. I also encourage, I want to encourage my clients, my my future clients, to say, hey, like, I don't want you to give up. Like, this is where you are in the journey. And this is what we see in trauma and in grief that more most people are likely to give up. I don't want you to give up here. And I help you walk through that. We walk through this together and we take our time. <laughs> we take our time. But the goal is to come on the other side of your journey, whatever your new normal looks like. Because one of the things that I want to tell people, tell my future clients or or tell anybody that I'm helping is that. Your journey will not look like my journey. It's Mm -hmm. not going to mirror it. Your journey is going to be specific to who you are, to who you're made up to be. Just like our fingerprints are all different, so are you. (laughs) We're different. So we're going to walk this thing out, but the goal is to come out. That's the goal.
1: That's a good goal, man. I, I think, I really think that more people, I think we need guides for these big things that happen in our lives. You know, in the same way that we need rituals, we need somebody to put their hand back and say, come on, yes. This is the <laughs> way this is how we do it. Come yeah. on, I got you, right? We we're we're not meant to do these things alone. I right. Think, I think that we have forgotten that somehow, you know, and I'm glad that people are starting to create these pathways for others and create these ways that we can support each other because we do better together than we do alone. That um, is so good. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that you're, that you're doing this. I'm excited. I'm excited to read the book. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with, with your coaching. And I'm, I'm glad to know that you're doing this so that, You know, I can send people your way so they can get the support that they need. It's just it's just so crucial for all of us to have people on our side when we need them. Absolutely. Thank you. Is there did I miss anything? Is there anything that feels really important that you need to say? Um, Is there a question you wish I had asked you? I know that's let me put you on the spot and then make you do all of this work. (laughs) How about that?
0: No, no, I, I, you asked a lot of great questions. I feel like we hit every point and more, Robin. I think we hit like every point and more. I, I just appreciate you and I'm honored that you even thought of me and, and asked me to come. No, like really, I'm, I'm honored. Like thank you for, for thinking of me and just having me on here.
1: I'm I was I'm happy to connect with you because you're a person I like and I don't ever see you. And so this makes <laughs> me very happy. But I just I just really love what it is that you're doing. I'm I'm super excited just to see to see this take off for you and to, and to become this kind of bedrock for your life. So you can just be fabulous. Honestly, thank just you. just thrilled. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um And I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you, Robin. Alrighty.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on your life after. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of our patrons. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you'll never miss out. Information about becoming a patron, show notes, and transcripts from today's episode can be found on our website, WSW.center slash yourlifeafter. That's WSW.center slash yourlifeafter, or just go to the homepage and click Podcast from the main menu. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. Be peaceful.